0: This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. It confirmed for me what my fears were about what was going on, which is that if I didn't start making opportunities and changing up what I did, how I spent my time and how I told stories, that I was gonna be left behind at some point. You're either gonna get a lottery ticket or you're not, or you can just like create your own lottery.
1: I'm your host, Casey Finney, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company Podcast. For Elizabeth Banks, acting was her first passion that really clicked for her, and she certainly has had success in that regard with roles in 30 Rock, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and The Hunger Games franchise. But over the years, Elizabeth has proven she's just as talented at creating new opportunities for herself in producing, directing, entrepreneurship, and now podcasting. There's a moment toward the end of our conversation that really resonated with me when Elizabeth said she's not making things to be kept in a closet somewhere. She wants her prolific ideas and creativity to be out in the world, and her resume certainly shows it. In this episode, Elizabeth talks about owning her ambition, she gets personal about her new podcast with Audible, My Body, My Podcast, and she explains why her creativity is quote unquote, quietly revolutionary. Well, hello there, Elizabeth. How are you doing?
0: I'm great. Oh, How are you? Casey? I'm you very
1: well. Thank you.
0: Such a beautiful voice for this.
1: I so. mean, I was actually I was going to say your podcast. I, I it, obviously I mean, I, I know of you as an actor, but it's a completely different experience. Like hearing someone not seeing any not seeing them at all, but just hearing the voice. Yeah. And I'm like, I was reminded that you have a fantastic voice. It's like so is- soothing.
0: I don't think that's true, but I will take the compliment. I'm One not, of the things I'm, a challenge I'm overcoming is taking compliments. <laughs>
1: I mean, same here, but like as, as, as someone who is very picky with their podcast would say, I, I can get easily turned off if someone's voice is a little grating, that may be judgmental of me, but here we are. <laughs> like, here
0: we, it's a very interesting medium and in that the voice really matters.
1: It really does. But I yeah. mean... I want to start by asking, I mean, as an actor, a producer, a director, you know, what would you say is at the root of your passion for storytelling? Like, was there an initial spark Mm -hmm. that set this in motion for you?
0: I was really, thank you for that question. I was really fortunate early on in college. Um, I went to Penn in Philadelphia and I took a class it was like the classics or something. And it was all about sort of Greek storytellers, right? So like Aeschylus for instance, mm-hmm. Euripides. And I remember the professor talking about how, how old of a uh, tradition storytelling was and that modern day actors were part of this very long tradition that began, around the campfires when we lived in the caves right and you would tell stories because human beings have incredible imaginations this is what separates us from the animal kingdom and you know why we are what we are today and that that imagination was um, focused by storytellers for one thing but also you know you you had a responsibility to tell stories to to reflect the society you were living in, to create morality um, and compassion, that you were part of this tradition of saving lives, right? Like, so the lion lives over there. Don't go that way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And so what's always been at the root of my storytelling is just this deep respect and feeling of honor that I get to carry on a very very old tradition and that i get reminded of that every once in a while and it's it keeps it very exciting to me and and makes what i do feel kind of special
1: i, I mean especially when you put it like that i mean <laughs> <laughs> as someone who has greek classics somewhere on this shelf back here like i, sure, I get it sure. but you know when you think because obviously, you know, you you become this this powerhouse multi hyphenate, but, you know, you got your start in acting, of course. And so when you think back to some of your early roles, is there a particular project that made you feel like you really owned your craft? Because I think when anyone starts out in something, there's almost I mean, I'm not I don't want to speak for you, but it's you can have that feeling of imposter syndrome. Like you feel like I need to prove myself and like but. I think there comes a time in your career like where you can really say like, I own this, like I can do this. So was there a moment for you like where you're like, you know what? Yeah, I am good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there was was a moment, there was a very early moment when I knew it was something that made me feel good, right? That gave me a sense of pride and self-worth. And that was really early. That was like doing a high school musical. And not the high school musical. <laughs> not the high school musical. Oh no. Oh honey, I wish. I wish I was that young.
1: Um
0: no, uh, it was Man of La Mancha, actually. Mm. And I remember being in high school, I had to, I had to audition and win that role. And I was not in the theater group. So there <laughs> not were a, a lot theater of great, kid. <laughs> I wasn't. Um, and so it was a lot of really great singers and people who are already doing drama clubs and all that stuff, and I was not in that. And I'm—I'm I'm not even sure. I think I was encouraged to audition. I honestly don't even remember how I got sort of put up for the job, but I—I I remember like winning the job and well, winning the—the the job. I love that we're calling it a job. It's not, <laughs> not like I got paid, um, but just feeling like, and then putting on the show and feeling like, wow, getting people to clap at me, <laughs> you know, and hitting these notes and feeling these feelings and projecting this into the world didn't feel odd and it didn't mm. feel scary. And it felt right to me in a way that nothing else I'd ever really done, especially, I'd played a lot of sports and, you know, you I'd had some really great more moments in sports of feeling sort of like proud and like, wow, this is what my body can do, you know? And I didn't feel that way again until I did this musical.
1: I wanna talk about your production company, Brownstone, which I don't think many people realize that you've had this company since what, 2002?
0: Mm, something like that. Like it's been a <laughs> while,
1: like it's been a very long time. And so you produce projects for, you know, film and TV and you've obviously directed a few as well. And so, you know, why was it important for you to push your career in that direction?
0: That was a calculation. That for a long time was based on anecdotes that eventually were supported by real data. Mm. You know, we live in the age of of data. Oh, yes. And it tells us a lot of things. (laughs) I think it's making most of us very unhappy, but that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) So anecdotally, I was coming up in Hollywood alongside a lot of my male peers. And I was like, huh, they're getting a lot of jobs and making a lot more money than me. And I'm going to sets, and I'm the one woman in in the show. You know, I remember working on Invincible, this movie I made with Mark Wahlberg, which I loved working on. I loved the guys on that show. Oh, we had so much fun, and I loved Mark, and it was great. But I just remember being like, "Wow, I'm really the only girl around here," you know, and and that wasn't the first time that had happened. That had happened to me a lot, and so. I just started looking around and, think, and I was always the girl or the girlfriend or you know nothing particularly fascinating or interesting was happening to me. <laughs> I just remember thinking, looking around and thinking, I, I don't think the jobs are gonna, I'm really worried that they're not, the things that I, I, I care about that I won't be bored by are not really coming my way and getting to do 30 rock was great getting to scrubs was great those are awesome jobs kept me sort of really going and and excited about working and and all the little movies i did but you know and fighting for effie trinket was really great but that came after i'd started the production company and after i decided to direct and sort of look for things to direct and it was playing effie over that course of that long period of time and frankly working with nita jacobson um, and Gary and 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 Francis, those are the directors of the of the franchise, all of whom were very supportive of me having a directing career in a moment in time when it was like, go away and do this thing because in a year from now you'll have you'll we'll make another hunger games movie. you'll come and play Effie again. and then go away and you know, come back and 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 so it was throughout that time period that I was able to, Capitalized on what I realized which was the numbers were against me and then Gina Davis and her institute and the inclusion study from USC put raw data to my feeling which was I just didn't feel like there was enough opportunity and suddenly it was like oh yeah actually so women have 30% of the jobs of men, like 70% fewer jobs.
1: Imagine that. <laughs>
0: and we, we have way smaller uh, line, you know, way less lines mm-hmm. in movies. And we, you know, our, our, the budgets for our movies are smaller. Like you know, I mean, they just like, everything just came out and sort of told, you know, it, it confirmed for me what my fears were about what was going on, which is that if I didn't start making opportunities and changing up what. I did how i spent my time and how i told stories that i was going to be left behind at some point or or you know it, i was just playing a, a losing game like you're either going to get a lottery ticket or you're not or you can just like create your own lottery
1: love that in terms of directing i mean it has to be said that all the films you've directed so far are wildly different i mean first there's like pitch perfect 2 which is a musical comedy charlie's angels is high adrenaline action film and you're currently in ireland shooting cocaine bear which for those who don't know the story is exactly what the title suggests. So, you know, as a director, I mean, like what pulls you in? Like, I mean, what, what is that through line? Like what stories excite you?
0: Um, well, first of all, I actually have, I, I actually think I mostly make the same movie over and over what? again. I just hide it inside of genres. Okay.
1: they connect the dots me for me for like acapella <laughs> right, so, singing, like so. spies and a bear hopped okay, up on I'll, cocaine, I'll, like I'll, make it work. I'll connect
0: the dots. I'll connect the dots for you. So number one, it has to be highly entertaining with a great character. It cannot take itself too seriously. And mostly I love comedy. Like mm. I like comedic elements inside of things and so you know pitch perfect is a it's a comedy with music yeah and right so i made a big ass musical but really i just made it's kind of a heartfelt comedic endeavor that happens to be a big old romance between all those women yeah and that's Jason Moore set that up with the first pitch, and I just built on it with the second one, built on it with the third one, right? So that's what that franchise is really about. It's just about, you know, an incre- incredible friendship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when you understand that and you think about Charlie's Angels, did the exact same thing. I took a group of women. I made it about friendship, them being in love with each other. I gave, made it very comedic. You know, Kristen Stewart, I think, is so funny and fun in oh, that movie. Oh, absolutely. And, like the funniest. I mean, I don't. People literally called me after. It's like she's funny. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, made something that was really funny and surprising. And of course, that's the other thing is like everything has to be a little bit surprising. Um, you know, cocaine bear. I mean, it's absurd on its face. There's a bear high in cocaine. <laughs> um, you know, Carrie Russell's one. You know, is sort of leading this this group of of people into this into the forest um, for. Everyone for different reasons, but mostly to recover cocaine that's been dumped in the forest. And what nobody understands is that the bear got there first, and the bear's high on cocaine. Which, for those Back again story. who don't know,
1: it's a true story. So, like okay, people look it up because <laughs> it is. It's one of those things, like where it's like, why was this not a movie?
0: Before? I know it's, crazy. it's
1: wild.
0: So my point is tonally You know, I actually. I'm interested in the same vibe mm-hmm. for the most part in the kind of everything that I do and nice. everything that I, that I make. And so I just think it's fun to be, I also like to be what I call quietly revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you can be quietly revolutionary, I'm not, I'm not out here being like, look at me, I'm doing something. I don't know you know that no one's seen before but at the end of the day yeah. if you really pay attention there's a lot of little things in there right. that nobody's ever seen before
1: we're going to take a quick break here and when we're back elizabeth gets personal about her new podcast
0: this episode of creative control is brought to you by verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com
1: Let's get into your podcast with Audible, which, first of all, congratulations. Um, Thank you. And I mean, over the years, we've seen quite a few celebrities step into the podcast space. And so for you, I mean, like, why now? (laughs) And why with something like My Body, My Podcast?
0: Well, for one, the subject matter has interested me for a very, very long time. And, you know, I do a lot of advocacy in sort of women's rights, women's health, women's reproductive rights. I mean, I spend a lot of my energy in that space and and it's because i'm really interested in like how we get to the places where we're at and how do i create more opportunity frankly selfishly for myself (laughs) and then also for other other women Mm -hmm. and and also globally because i as a white american woman have it like tops and it's still stinky (laughs) so if it's bad for me jesus like you know like can we make this I just want to leave. I just realized at some point that I, I may be, if I, I mean, I want to be humble about it. I know I have a small opportunity to make the world a little bit better when I'm gone than it is when I'm here. If I can, you know, at least leave a legacy of uh, that, uh, at least leave a legacy behind in that direction. And, and that's for my own children and my grandchildren, you know, and especially now that I'm a mom, like thinking about, you know, what I want their world to look like for their future spouses and children if that is in their future. So that's the subject matter. So that's something I've been interested in. How could I do it? And I've been thinking about telling some of these really personal stories. So the podcast is the most personal storytelling I've ever done. Yeah. (laughs) And I tried to be really relate, you know, I tried to tell stories I felt were relatable. And you know, these are these are not things I've never shared. You know, I've shared them privately with with my family and close friends, obviously. And and obviously a lot of them were shared like in the moment with other right. humans. <laughs> <laughs> but not with an audience. <laughs> like. But not with
1: an audience and
0: yet here we are. So, um, but in general... I felt like there's just still too much shame and stigma around these taboo topics Mm -hmm. and any way that we can make this all a little more normal and have, again, a little more compassion for other people. I think the better the world gets. I just I I just believe that we are better off acknowledging, you know, saying to someone the other day, like, I don't understand the people that I understand people who are uh, who are anti trans rights for instance meaning i don't understand their ideology Mm -hmm. but i understand they have an ideology Mm -hmm. there are people though that are just like that's not a real thing Mm. and that when i have like laverne cox who i can hug and hold and act with and be friends like i that's where i'm just like i don't i don't there there are just truths in the world that should We should stop denying. Right. (laughs)
1: Right. Right.
0: And I don't know. They're just so, there's just been really moments of clarity for me where I've just felt like we're just getting off track on certain things. So, you know, women having periods is like our daily existence. Mm -hmm. And we're meant to discuss that in secret. And we're not meant to even teach boys about it in school. So it becomes something that is stigmatized because it's said separately and not shared. And now we've created a culture of like, secrecy around something that is our basic bodily but function it's like you
1: can't, <laughs> can't even help it it just happens like what is it guys
0: <laughs> we don't have a human race without it Like it's wild
1: to me no so
0: it's like and like they're just like scientific body parts that we just don't discuss so I don't know. I, I'm I'm fascinated by just the dichotomy that we have in American culture between our sort of Puritan national identity and our social media porn and like you know, music culture. Like, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like,
1: absolutely.
0: I don't know what where we're supposed to live along this, like they're pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and nobody's winning.
1: No, for sure. And, you know, that kind of feeds into my question because I, you know, this is it's deeply personal. And of course, you know, you mentioned you're not, you're not afraid to get personal. I mean, you've, you've you've been very open about having children via surrogate and, you know, talking about your quote unquote, broken belly, Um, you know, <laughs> so, but what kind of connection do you have to have with yourself before you hope to connect with other people?
0: Ooh, what a great question. <clears throat> well, first of all, I. I'm not sure that it's re- that it's a requirement of connecting with other people. So I'll say that I, I don't want to shame anybody who doesn't feel like they're fully connected themselves or thinks that they're not deserving of love. I just want to put that out there.
1: Totally. I don't fair. think
0: there are any requirements to be deserving of connection and love. So take that off your plate. That being said, of course, I think you are, when you are more connected to your physical well-being, whatever that may be, and I, and really, what my podcast is about is not siloing off our sex and sexuality from our overall holistic health and well-being because it is an integral part of our humanity. And that's another thing that our perioding culture has sort of done, right? It's sort of said like we tell young people as little as possible. They leave home at 18 and they're just like amongst the wolves, right. like, you know, at the moment in their at the moment in their physical lives, when their bodies are peak biologically programmed to seek and have sex with other humans.
1: Right. And they don't know what they're doing. <laughs>
0: and it's like, And all we've told them is they should be afraid of it. And they should fear it and they should fear unwanted pregnancy and they should fear STDs Mm -hmm. and they should fear the shame and stigma of it. And they should fear abuse and sexual assault. Like that's what we tell everybody until they're 18 years old is what sex is. Mm -hmm. And of course, sex is pleasure and intimacy and connection and fun Mm -hmm. and learning and learning how to be (laughs) with people and healthy (laughs) and, you know, I mean, all of it, right. right?
1: We can't forget, like on top of all this, like <laughs> on top of acting, producing, directing, a podcasting. Now, I mean, you also are part owner of a canned wine company, oh, which is thank like you so much Archer Ruse. And so, I mean, yeah. when you think about everything that you've been doing, I mean, what exactly is the Elizabeth Banks brand? <laughs> well, <laughs> if I if I like zoom out, what am I looking at right now? Because
0: <laughs> well, I mean don't you having known me for like 45 minutes doesn't it feel like canned wine is totally it makes
1: sense and can i say that ad hysterical like that that, thank
0: you thank you you. i mean look for the record i would love
1: you as a house guest i would not mind you clipping your toenails in my kitchen island just because you're just fun no no it's fun. you're quirky it's fine
0: (laughs) i'm quirky you know look i i think this was partly a product I don't want to say the pandemic year because certainly I was thinking about this beforehand, but I'm always trying to figure out as a businesswoman what my business, like, what are the different areas in which I can expand as a businesswoman? I'm an ambitious person. I'm not afraid to say that out loud. And it felt this was um, an opportunity that was presented to me that really felt like it aligned with my values. It's a female led company. I love the founder, Marion Leitner. She's fantastic. She's in the mm-hmm. in the ad with me. <laughs> She's from Massachusetts, which is where I'm from. I have a real soft spot for assholes. and <laughs> um, and not only that, uh, I saw right away that the innovation here is not in like creating great wine. Like we're not, you know, there's incredible wine. For gener- I'm not I'm not adding anything new to the to the space of wine. What I thought the innovation here was that really attracted me was the distribution mm-hmm. and canning really good wine. I think that the storytelling in wine has always been that there's fancy fancy wine for fancy people, then there's like two buck Chuck mm-hmm. and you know. And canned wine is not even really thing. It's like, it, there's a, a, what do you call it? Jugged, yeah. like Chablis or whatever, Carlo you know, Rossi. which is like,
1: yeah, there are things
0: like, you know, where they like picked it up, uh, they barreled it off the bottom right. of the floor and stuck the shit in, you know, on a shelf and serve it large. So like, you know, and I just felt like I'm not particularly snobby when it comes to wine. I enjoy a great glass of wine and, I have been to too many now, especially as a mom of two boys, too many just like soccer game sidelines or going up the mountain skiing in the winter with my fam, going out to the lake, tubing down the river. And you know what we bring on all those adventures? A cooler filled with beer. Uh (laughs) And I was like, wait a minute, mommy, could really use some canned wine,
1: and honestly, and Uncle I, Casey too. Because like, beer, sometimes, I love beer, but sometimes it's a little too heavy. Sometimes you want wine in like the
0: day. It destroys me. A beer no. destroys my belly in the day. So I love a really cold beer, but my problem with beer is it tends to not be cold about ten minutes after it gets cracked. So um, I saw the application in my own life immediately. Mm-hmm. And I saw the innovation and I saw Marion, the founder, and it and I saw growth as a businesswoman for me personally. And it felt like something that really aligned with my goals for my future. And here we are. I own Archer Roos. Love the wine company.
1: I love to close out the podcast by asking all my guests the same question, which is at this oh point in your career, how have you come to define creativity?
0: Creativity.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, what an
0: interesting. Question.
1: That's why I save it for the end always.
0: <laughs> I remember having a conversation with someone where I realized that an idea that I had could be put into the world and that it was valuable, that other people might be interested in it. And to me, the creativity right now is the confidence in my ideas. That other people might care. That's what being creative is. It's like, I don't, I don't, there are creative people who are prolific, like at home in their closet, you know, they paint their walls. They, no one else shares it in it. I am here to share it. I don't, I don't act for myself in the closet. I'm trying to put something into the world.
1: I feel like you're yelling at me right now. (laughs) 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 Cause as I look at a painting on my wall right now uh, that I did that no uh, one else has seen as I look around my whole apartment and there's so much that I've done that I'm that type of person that I'm I I do feel I think it is a lack of confidence in that you know do is this idea good enough to break through and yeah. I think for me it's I'm, I'm very protective of. Uh, of my art and a part of it is being a journalist i get to write tell other people's stories and right. i've had friends across industries and books and film like yelling at me like tell your own story and i'm like i'm not there yet yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so yeah uh thanks for yelling at me elizabeth thanks and that 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 <laughs> you okay so now you you completed the trifecta i'm gonna go, I go cry like, now I, I almost got you in that oh my god no i love that answer i need to keep like a leaderboard of my favorite answers because that's 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 key that is really Uh, key so oh my god elizabeth thank you so much for this conversation i appreciate it so much
0: you're a delight
1: as always thanks for listening to creative conversation be sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode see you soon